Today's episode of Blast Burn Radio was brought to you by Bigby, Franco, Rohane, and other listeners just like you. If you'd like to support Blast Burn Radio, you can do so over at patreon.com slash challengeacceptedmedia. You can pledge your support and start earning exclusive rewards today. Thank you. are now listening to Blast Burn Radio. everyone and welcome to another episode of Blastburn Radio. I am your host Jolly by Nature and with me as always are our fond farewell friends, our sailing away co-hosts Celeste and Messer Engine. Uh, thanks for joining me today guys. How's it going? It's going pretty good. I mean, I finished Link's Awakening today and I have had an opportunity to work on a bunch of stuff recently because we've been on like break in between series. Things like projects I've been putting off and that's all been going really good and I'm going to wrap up one of them tomorrow. So uh, I'm, I'm in a pretty good mood and I have coffee. So no, no complaints here. I'm doing okay. I've been pretty busy uh, applying for jobs and not getting anything back yet. But there's also a position at my university that I'm very excited for that I probably don't qualify for, but it's like a uh, student coordinator position. I'd love to do that and just work with students. So I'm going to apply for it and hope. So, well, good luck. Well, yeah, good luck, Celeste. Um, I'm mostly pretty okay. I've been in kind of a drug fog for a couple of days now. I have been very congested. I'm not sure if we got one of those like dreaded late summer, early fall colds or if it's just the change of the seasons. But everybody in my house has been like coughing up phlegm and drainy and gross. And that's that's not real great. Um, but it's a really good day, guys. It's a real emotional day for me. Um, it's it's Pokemon Day here in North America uh, today. As of this recording, uh, 21 years ago is when Pokemon Red and Blue were first released in in North America, uh, which was itself not a super important day in my young life. I didn't play those games until a couple months later when I got them for my birthday. But obviously, we're sitting here talking. That's a very important milestone in my life that that's a thing that happened. Um, So that just kind of gives me the warm fuzzies. Mm. That year was one of the best Christmas ever. The best Christmas ever. How dare you mark me? Mark you? Mark. Ma- ma- mark. Marky Mark and Mark the Funky Bunch. Marky uh, Mark and yeah. the Funky Bunch. He committed a hate uh, crime. But up, up, but up, up. Not a thing to joke about. (laughs) (laughs) So, guys, as we move closer to that November 15th release date, the hype machine for Pokemon Sword and Shield is really kicking into overdrive. Uh, While we're certainly getting less concrete information in this release cycle than we did with Sun and Moon, uh, what we are getting displays a degree of creativity and, frankly, craftsmanship uh, beyond anything we've seen, at least recently. Uh, So what's new this week? Let's find out in this week's Pokemon News. Do, 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 do. This is the Poke News. The Poke News. 
This week's Pokemon news contains coverage of Pokemon Sword and Shield. If you would prefer to avoid this information, please pause the podcast and check today's show notes for the timestamp at the end of this new segment. Thank you. All right, guys. So first of all, in what will likely be our last ever piece of Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon news, our final Global Link tournament has been announced. The Ultra Final Competition is a 6v6 singles tournament where literally anything goes. Every Pokemon from Bulbasaur to Zeriora is legal for use, and duplicate items and Pokemon are allowed. All participants in this tournament will receive a shiny Tapacoco, giving those who missed the first early distribution a second chance to complete their collection of shiny Tapus. Uh, Registration is actually currently live and will run through October 3rd, and battles will run from October 4th through October the 6th. Uh, So be sure to participate and celebrate the sunset of Generation 7. See what you did there with that pun. Time to run six well events. You absolutely can. You don't have to win any matches to get the prize. So bring <laughs> on your memes. <laughs> uh, now, we did get some Sword and Shield news this week, as you could already tell from the disclaimer. Uh, and it was really interesting. Maybe lacking some of the juicy, juicy details we all crave, but like really immersive and kind of artistic in increasing the hype level as we head into the release. First, we saw a new Japanese website pop up for a feature called the Dynamax camera. Uh, You can visit the site from your phone or tablet or scan a QR code from those devices, and it allows you to take a photo of outdoor locations from your device, and it inserts one of 50 different Dynamax Pokemon into your picture. Uh, This includes Pokemon that were previously unannounced for the Galar regional decks, which was kind of a cool way to sneak in that announcement. Uh, The Pokemon Company have also announced another really interesting promotional event. Uh, Starting on October 4th at 9 a.m. Eastern, there will be a live stream active for 24 hours of a forest location called the Glimwood Tangle in the Galar region, uh, reminiscent of, like, National Geographic's nature streams. Uh, This is a previously unannounced location, a seemingly large, deep, and dark forest filled with bioluminescent mushrooms from the little bit of like artwork that we've seen and we have no idea what we'll see over the course of this 24 hour stream though there is certainly some hope that we'll see some new pokemon Uh, what do you guys think of this new advertising approach is this nativistic almost alternate reality game approach to building enthusiasm for the games better overall than the steady stream of information that we got heading into sun and moon I mean, I think from a marketing perspective, it's cool. Like, it's an interesting idea, and it gets people engaged in a way that they wouldn't be otherwise, right? Like, somebody goes and they watches a trailer or visits a website. They can they can just look up a list, and, like, that's great. But it doesn't have much impact outside of the initial just scan data or wait for a news outlet to tell you, hi, Um but, you know, if you do things like this, you have people checking back on the website at various times. You know, maybe somebody keeps that uh, that forest up for 24 hours and, like, keeps an eye on it. Oh, poor Joe Merrick. He's going to be, like, just wired on Red Bull and sadness for 24 hours straight. Yeah, <laughs> you're not wrong. Um, was that a Pokemon? No, it was a hallucination. It was, it was just a hallucination. But, yeah, like, it's a cool way to get people out and doing things. Like... I don't want to do any of those things, and so I won't. 
I could care less. I will wait for somebody to make a list and tell me all the things so that I can tell you all the things. But yeah, I think it's neat, but it's not for me. I agree with Mez. I think it's a really good marketing idea and it's going to pull in a lot of different people, especially of how they stream it. Um, is it just going to be on their website? Is it going to be on the streaming sites? I didn't really look at this. Uh, it's going to be on the official Pokemon YouTube. Pokemon YouTube? That's going to pull in a lot of people then. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think that it's a really, really cool and interesting idea. I I really like the approach that they have been taking with this release cycle of of trying to make Galar feel more like more like a real and natural place, more like it fits into the real world. Like, obviously, it doesn't. It's a magical land with uh, with ice cream like monsters that turn into giant cakes when they get real mad uh, and big angry birdmen that taxi you around like it's it's not real, but making it feel alive i think is is only good for like the the mythos of of pokemon uh, and the excitement of the community i i think this is all really good stuff i think that as frustrating as it is to be like you know we still haven't seen starter evolutions like there's there's solid information that we as fans want because we crave it at the same time like by the time sun and moon came out there wasn't much mystery left there was none at all left if you followed any of like the the leaks when people got a hold of the actual data mined information um and so i kind of like pokemon playing it a little bit closer to the chest this time around and hopefully there'll still be some surprises left when retail hits we will see <laughs> Yeah, no, the data miners are still going to get the shit. Like, if you read that shit, you're still going to know everything. But if you don't, you might be surprised, and that's fun. Just avoid the data miners, and you're good to go. Yeah, That message was for everyone not listening to this section of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, lastly, we did receive clarification on the strange new Pokemon that we talked about in the last episode, you guys. And he's here, baby! Ya boy ducks gone and leveled up. Uh, We received official announcement of the new Galarian evolution of Farfetch'd, Surfetch'd. Surfetch'd is visually a beefy white duck who... Well, he looks like he just got done fucking your mom and he's glad that you know about it. He's a smug boy, is what I'm saying. Uh, he carries a leafy green shield, somewhat reminiscent of a uh, fleur de and a massive lance made out of a far-fetched leak. Uh, Surfetched is a mono-fighting type Pokemon, and is notable for getting an exclusive move, Meteor Assault, which is visually like a, a powerful and blindingly fast lance charge. Mechanically, it seems to be something similar to a fighting-type Giga Impact with huge physical damage and a turn of recharge after. Now, Surfetched is also notable for being the first non-legendary new Pokemon confirmed to be a version exclusive, particularly being exclusive to Pokemon Sword. Uh, What do you guys think of Surfetched? Has he stolen your heart with his smarmy ways? Uh, What are your hopes for his Pokemon Shield counterpart? So I really like the design of him uh, beyond the typing. I feel like the typing is a missed opportunity. Taking it from a normal flying to a fighting type feels kind of weird to me. But we'll see how he plays, I guess. Um, I still love the design and I plan on definitely using one in Sword. Yeah, it's it's really good. I am so happy that Farfetch got an evolution in this game. I have no hopes for the shield counterpart because I... I I mean, yeah, no, I'm just not. Sword dog is best dog. Shield dog doesn't exist to me. I'm going to have to rely on your traits is what I'm saying. That is utter (laughs) blasphemy. Sword dog is freaking 
Amazing. Sword Dog is a good boy who brings his sword <laughs> to you. It's just a dog with a damn sword in its mouth. Your dog can't turn his head. He's got to turn his whole body. Like, that's a fucking problem. Like, whoever put him in that getup was a cruel, cruel master who never wanted to play fetch with his good boy. I am disappointed in him for not having more self-respect, and I'm disappointed in whoever his trainer was. For shame. I mean, Sword Dog is basically Sif from Dark Souls, and I love it that way, too. Sif was an amazing boss. Now, to be fair, I am also disappointed in the trainer who was throwing large swords around for fetch. That is not safe, and you (laughs) should not do that, children at home. But I appreciate the fact that Sword Dog has brought it back and has has been smart enough to bring it back by the hilt and not the blade. Good job, (laughs) Sword Dog. Uh, I like Sir Fetched a lot. We're we're going back to Sir Fetched now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I like my my smarmy Johnny Bravo bird with his big, big stick. I think he's real, real neat. I don't think this necessarily means anything. There are people on the internet who are reporting on it like it does, but you know, you know how that goes. The, the Pokemon like secret members club website, that weird place that we didn't know existed until a couple weeks ago when they gave out Shiny Necrozma. Uh, apparently they suddenly have like crabbies all over their website, which is definitely like a, um, a pun. Like apparently like one of the kanji in the name of that website is very similar to the kanji for crab. So it like it's definitely a pun, but people have also been, oh, crabby for sword and shield confirmed. And I would absolutely love the fuck out of a Galarian Kingler. So like maybe, maybe we'll see Galarian Kingler with a big shield arm for Pokemon Shield. That would be fucking dope. He's but, just like, gonna have a shield head, a shield shell. <laughs> I, I don't I don't think it's indicative. I don't think that, yes, it's confirmed, but I think it would be really cool. No, it would be really cool. And I could totally see them making a Kingler whose big, bigger crab hand just has a huge shield on it. And, you know, they're going to focus on Gen 1 for evolutions like this for the most part. I really, really hope not. The fact that they showed off Obstagoon, like initially like as a new evolution like obviously um the galarian zigzagoon family was not the first galarian forms they showed but the fact that they went right to that one gives me some hope that maybe gen one pokemon will be a minority here that's fair All right, guys. Well, that is our Pokemon news. And and now it's that time. We don't have gameplay to recap for you this week. Uh, gameplay is done. We covered that last week. But this is, of course, the, the part of the end of our series where we, we want to take a step back and take a look back at the games at Pokemon Heart, Gold, and Soul Silver. now that we have completed them and how we feel about them and our Nuzlocke series and how we feel about those Um Pokemon Heart Gold and Soul Silver was our longest and largest scaled, and I'd argue our most ambitious series to date by by a significant margin. Uh, we went through 16 gym leaders, most of them twice, two runs at the Elite Four Gauntlet, and the champion of champions himself to get here. Now, as always, as we stand here at the peak, I think it's worthwhile to take a few moments to reflect back on the games themselves that we've invested invested heavily in for the better part of a year now uh what worked with them what we think maybe didn't uh, and how we feel about these titles and, and how they fit into the franchise uh, let's start with you messer engine uh mess before our series began you were coming in mostly blind having never played these games when they were new 
However, you were extremely hopeful, coming in with a deep love and appreciation of both Pokemon Gold and Silver and of Generation 4, which is, you know, the the peanut butter and the chocolate, as it were, that make up the Reese's Cups of Heart Gold and Soul Silver, kind of hoping that they would be two great tastes that taste great together. Sitting here on the other side of these behemoths, how did the experience live up to those high hopes? Um, I think that as games and as as remakes, there's both a lot to love and a lot to hate. <laughs> uh, to put it to put it bluntly, uh, the the games are very true to the originals in a lot of ways that are not flattering. The level curve being one of them. Uh, it's real bad, you guys. Like, I think everybody who listens to this podcast knows that. But, I mean, there's absolutely no reason through main gameplay that your regular trainers and wild Pokemon should be 20, like, levels under you at times. Just because it makes it hard to level. It makes it hard for the games to feel challenging. Like, that's that's not real good. And it was torture for us who had to hit level limit every every cycle. Like, not great. I think overall, I did enjoy the games despite them being uh, seven months, basically, of my life. Let's see. What 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 was to like? Uh, the updated graphics on the Gen 2 uh, original, like, Johto region was really nice to see. They preserved and, in a lot of cases, enhanced the difficulty of gym battles uh, and, like, boss-level battles throughout the games. Some of these gym leaders are real fucking hard. Like, really, really hard. Um, abilities made all the difference. Like, it just goes to show you, like, how much of an important addition they were uh, to the game. Also, because this is Gen 4, there's the physical special split, which is good and bad because <laughs> these games were not originally designed. Like, Gen 2 was not designed with this in mind. So, Pokemon that were built a certain way don't always like function as well as they used to. Typhlosion is a real good example of that. And it, it just makes things that it makes things lackluster that shouldn't be, but nobody is going to argue that the physical special split was a bad thing. Like it wasn't, it was good and it was important. It just, it touches these games in a way that isn't, I, I think particularly, as appreciated as it would have been if they had gone back and done a little more redesign on the the Johto Pokemon to fit more into that mold that they had created. The gym rematch system in the post game, really fucking good. Like really, really enjoyable, very challenging. You know, Jolly likes to talk about uh, seeing gym leaders out in the world. And we did see them out in the world here too. Like they weren't involved in like the main story of what was going on, running around trying to stop the end of the world. But you did find them in your off times. Like they had a schedule. Like there were times of day when they were out doing their business and they were out doing things that they enjoyed. Like, you know, Bugsy is out catching bugs. (laughs) Like it's just, it's, it's really interesting how having a daily weekly schedule gives a sense of structure to somebody's life because that's how it is in real life for every person. It's how you know, like, your job is largely how you know what day it is and, like, what you have to do because you got places to be and, and things that, that need to happen. And this felt very much like that. Um, the fact that there are so many legendaries in this game in one place that you could catch them is really awesome from, like, a collection standpoint. Being able to go and, like, get those Pokemon without having to, like, run through older games to pick them up 
definitely appreciated. Uh, it also gave us like a wide array of points to chase for our series, which, which was good. The soundtrack was just as good as it's ever been. Like we, we all really enjoy the, the Gen 2 soundtrack, uh, and seeing it back here for Gen 4, um, with those, those very familiar tunes, uh, was very nice. The bad largely falls in that, again, level, the level curve is bad. It just is really bad. Nobody is, nobody is threatening outside of the boss battles. There's the flip side of that comment. Like regular trainers are largely forgettable. There were no real moments in this series for the most part where I came across a random trainer with a melodic who almost wiped my entire team. Like that just didn't happen. Doubles battles were still sometimes threatening because they're doubles battles. But I mean, outside of that, like there wasn't any real threat, which doesn't feel great for our series because it locks compelling gameplay into very small chunks. There's no sense of danger on the road. So if you are a viewer or a listener, you know that if we're wandering from place to place, chances are you could probably just turn off the stream and go away, which is, which is not fantastic. There is an overabundance of encounters here, which is good in a Nuzlocke, but because it was very much like just Johto, Johto Kanto, instead of opening up like Gen 3 and Gen 4 Pokemon into these regions until the post game, you had a lot of encounters and most of which felt lackluster or where there were no additional things to pick up. Didn't care for that too much. Johto feels short because it is. Like, I feel like we spent more time in Kanto in these games than we did in Johto, which is a, a similar problem to Gen 2, but it's more so because of the rematches uh, and other things. But, like, all in all, like, I think these are still good games, but I think they're largely uh, saved and made better by the post-game, which... Is not something that I think is always the case, but yeah, I mean, all in all, I, I had a good time. It was very stressful. It was very long because we did it like twice practically and the, the just jump in levels between uh, the final rematch gym and red is too high. Th those are my thoughts uh, <laughs> on these games. Hopefully I have covered all the points that I can remember because it has literally been so fucking long. <laughs> Well, thank you, Mess. Um, now, Celeste, it's your turn, and it's really been a while for you, so hopefully you've still got some some decent memory or some good notes. Now, in much the same vein, you didn't have a lot of preconceptions of Pokemon Heart Gold and Soul Silver coming in, but you did adore Pokemon Crystal when we played it in Series 2, and you were really looking forward to getting that experience again with an expanded Pokedex and with more modern mechanics. How did you feel that the execution of Pokemon Heart Gold lived up to that hype for you? It really didn't. Um, it had good additions, it had bad additions, but a lot of the things that they changed in the game were really random. Um, I'm looking at you, Rocket Uniform, that goes away in like two seconds. The fact that Gen 3 and Gen 4 were locked behind post-game made it feel like it was just playing Gold, Silver, Crystal again with less Pokemon because Crystal even had a bigger Pokedex at that point. And quite honestly, going through it twice because crashing out the Lance and then crashing out the Lance again was not a good feeling. That's on me. I had a bad strategy for the second time of Lance, but again, there wasn't that many ice Pokemon that I could have used. And I didn't feel comfortable using a 
dugong like our good friend Mez did, and I should have, but I didn't. So, all in all, I don't have much love for this game. It wasn't bad. I won't say it was terrible, but beyond repeating everything that was bad that Mez said and everything good that Mez said, they just made some really weird changes, and what they kept just didn't make sense. Well, thank you, Celeste. Um, now, as for myself, uh, well, to, to be the broken record here, coming in, I also had not played Pokemon Harkle or Soul Silver previously. Uh, I do have a deep nostalgia, if you would love, for Pokemon Gold, Silver Crystal, but something that I had been realizing through playing this series, like in order and like really, really hyper analytical of these games was. Through comparing Gold Silver Crystal to newer titles directly, I'd been coming to realize that they do leave a lot to be desired in some key places. And like th- that luster was starting to wear off for me before we even started Heart Gold Soul Silver. I was really hoping that the remakes would hit all of the same nostalgic notes in a much more polished package and would kind of bring that luster back to one of my favorite games ever. The results for me as well were, well, decidedly mixed. So I get much like Mess and Celeste. I was hoping for these games to present an experience that felt like gold and silver, but with a modern presentation level and with the, the updated mechanics. And on presentation, it delivers 100%. The soundtrack is, as Mess mentioned, it's the same soundtrack that we loved from gold, silver, crystal, but remastered and reorchestrated and updated for the increased audio capabilities of the DS console. And for my money, I think is still my favorite Pokemon soundtrack altogether, like, like hands down visually, both the Kanto and Johto regions are so much more fully realized in these games. I honestly think that Heart Gold Soul Silver presents the best version of Kanto ever with like cities feeling like their own unique, distinct places, like even surpassing Let's Go, which has significantly better capabilities. Like I think that the Kanto in Heart Gold Soul Silver is the best presentation of Kanto. Like these towns and these cities and these routes, they have a character that is normally lacking uh, from the oldest region in Pokemon. The ambient audio that was one of the new feature focuses of Heart Gold Soul Silver was a subtle but definitive improvement. Uh, being able to hear the water when near the shore or hear the wind, uh, when seeing the grass, you know, kind of move, uh, it had a, a huge impact on helping this version of Johto and Kanto feel like a real place. Even following Pokemon, while I don't think that they are the hugely impactful mechanic that some people argue that they are. I don't yearn for this feature to return as some others do. It definitely helps you feel connected to your team and to the game in a way that's hard to otherwise replicate. As you guys mentioned, the boss battles in Heart Gold Soul Silver are among the most challenging in the entire franchise. And their challenge frequently doesn't just come from brute force, which is kind of a rarity in the single player aspect of Pokemon. Like these NPCs have solid team building and strategy. I truly think that Heart Gold Soul Silver might just be the high watermark for challenging gameplay, at least as far as boss fights are concerned, though I suppose Black and White 2 will decide that for the next series. 
the single player post game in Heart Gold Soul Silver is easily the largest and most expansive in the entire series. And it's easy to see from that angle why these games are so beloved within the fan base. We've talked before about how it feels like this one Nuzlocke series was really just kind of three smushed together. And it feels that way because there's just so much fucking content here. Uh, and that is not the standard of the series, certainly. Now, all that stuff is real, real good, but not everything about these games is real, real good. It is with that post game being so good. It's extremely easy to fall into the bias trap where the things that are the most recent override everything more distance and importance. But we can't let that really good post game blind us to the fact that for most of the journey, especially on the Johto side, these games were a slog. They they still had. The incredibly simple story of, of Gold Silver Crystal, like, like upgraded in some places to make for some really cool story moments. Like when you confront, uh, the rocket admin archer inside the, the goldenrod radio tower. And when you confront your legendary for the first time in their boss room, like those are really cool story moments. Everywhere else in the game, the story is so incredibly lackluster, which was fine and to be expected in a Game Boy Color title, but just feels missing. Like, like it feels shallow in, in a, in a more modern Pokemon presentation. Again, as, as Mess previously mentioned, while the boss battles are terrifying and exciting, virtually every other battle in the game is 20 plus levels underleveled and disgustingly easy. Strong boss fights are great, but ultimately bosses are like a quarter of the game being generous. And frequently when I wasn't in a gym, I was kind of bored. Like I was hanging out with the chat more than I was playing the game. Like with Fire Red and Leaf Green, Heart Gold Soul Silver are faithful to the original games in places where it's honestly a detriment to their enjoyability from a more modern palette. This is true when it comes to items like Evolution Stones, uh, which in Heart Gold Soul Silver were locked behind Pokeathlon. Although, thank God they're available at all. Like, that's an improvement over Gold Silver crystal but it's still not great and nowhere is this more apparent than the level curve like we've previously discussed it but the grind is absolutely painful in heart gold soul silver and it's not just for our series where we're constantly struggling to stay at level limit for pvp like some of the coolest pokemon available in generation two are locked into the Kanto post game, which was always a problem. And that problem is, if anything, worse in Heart Gold Soul Silver when you catch them at level 17 and your party is in the 60s and you go, Oh, I, I really love this Murkrow. It's going to be a great member. I have to level it 50 fucking levels to make it useful. That sucks. This is the single worst grind in Pokemon, period. You know, we on the show, we frequently use speed up tools on stream to minimize that grind because we want to present you guys with engaging content. And we understand that grinding for levels or EVs isn't always exactly that. But this is the first series we've done where I can honestly say that if I was doing this Nuzlocke on original hardware just for fun, I don't know if I would have completed it all the way to red. I don't know if I would want to do that grind at normal speed on original hardware ever. I would be hard pressed to grind a team up to the mid 80s in Heart Gold Soul Silver. It is overpoweringly awful. 
Now, lastly, this is less of a direct criticism of Heart Gold Soul Silver and more of an unfortunate side effect of the format of our series. But it was really, really hard to roll back the quality of life features from Pokemon Black and White and go back to playing a Generation 4 game. Uh, losing access to unlimited TMs, going back to entirely too many HMs, losing the great source of grind EXP that is Wild Autono in Shaking Grass, it felt bad particularly again exacerbating how bad the grind was naturally in heart gold soul silver i'm not sure that heart gold soul silver would have felt like old and dated if we had played it immediately after diamond pearl and platinum but it definitely felt old after black and white well you know the thing is too is like there's there's definitely something to be said there like we got a vision of the future and then walked back to the past like immediately afterwards but let's keep in mind for a second that Platinum came out, what, a whole year before Heart Gold Soul Silver? Yes. And in terms of, like, we talked about, like, story and, like, presentation, like, there's there's no excuse. Platinum is an amazing high mark of the series. Like, I, I realized that they were trying to stay true to the original game. Like, and I get it. That's one of the reasons why a lot of people love these games. But it feels so terrible to go from something like Platinum or in our case from going from black and white, you know, back to this game and see that it is it is literally Gen 2 with polish, like just a, a pretty new paint on it in a lot of cases. And it was mainly just paint. Yeah, it was again, the improvements were were very superficial, like which is to be appreciated, like aesthetic things are nice, but mm-hmm. it could have used some more elbow grease ultimately. Um and ultimately I was hoping that Heart Gold Soul Silver would would freshen up Gold Silver Crystal and make it live up to my nostalgia and we got half of that. Heart Gold Soul Silver did put that that fresh coat of superficial paint on Gold Silver Crystal, but that just showed me that even with that fresh paint, these games just don't live up to what I thought they were when I was 13 years old. And and that's okay. They're they're solidly good in their own right. They are a significantly better remake than Fire Red Leaf Green was in my opinion, and not to get too far ahead of the, the put the cart too far ahead of the horse. Maybe my opinion will change when we play it again, but I think they're a significantly better remake than Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire is. I think this is the high watermark of remakes in, in the Pokemon franchise, but they still fall short of the mark for me. And if anything, instead of, Instead of gold, silver, crystal, bringing my opinion of heart, gold and soul, silver up with my nostalgia, Heart Gold and Soul Silver might have brought my opinion of Gold Silver Crystal down, like shown me that without the goggles of nostalgia, there are problems there. So coming in to this series, Jolly's great series scoreboard had Pokemon White on top with an A plus rating, Platinum in second and Silver in third, each with a solid A, Emerald in fourth with a B plus and Red bringing up the rear with a B. Ultimately, I think that Heart Gold and Soul Silver merits a B on my scale. It is a good game in its own right, but it just doesn't stand alongside the likes of Platinum or Emerald, which are masterworks in the series, at least not for me. And honestly, I think that the reminder of all the things that Johto does poorly knocks Silver down to a B for me as well. So 
Jolly's new leaderboard maintains Pokemon White on top. Platinum in second. Emerald now in third. Hoenn game getting the bronze. Who'd have thought? Heart Gold in fourth, Silver in fifth, and remaining in last place, proving that Jolly has no patience for nostalgia, is Pokemon Red. That sounds like you. <laughs> I, I will say, I, I did rank Heart Gold above Silver, and I, I think Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire could prove me wrong, but I think this is going to be the only place in the series where I rank a remake above the original game. I kind of rank the remakes below the game. That's valid because they had more they had more excuses back then. They had less hardware, they had less to work with. And they were still testing the format of their game design with that being their second game in the series. I mean, that's valid. I'm just not grading on a curve. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, it's not grading on a curve like makes sense, but it just what games are was different in like mm-hmm. the 80s, 90s aughts. Like yeah, it, it's different in every decade as culture changes with games and technology changes with games. But yeah, I I don't disagree with the the way that you have ranked those based off of your your own personal ranking metrics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and again, to be clear, I still adore all of these fucking games. I do not think that literally any of them are a bad video game experience. That's just preference, you know. Except maybe Diamond and Pearl. Yeah, yeah. I didn't play Diamond and Pearl. I played <laughs> Platinum, and Platinum is a masterwork of the series. Platinum is very good. All right. Well, as we have done with previous game series, let's take a minute to look back and reflect on the better part of a year that we've spent exploring Johto and Kanto and Pokemon Heart Gold and Soul Silver. Uh, we have won impossible victories, picked up the pieces after bitter defeats, and have pushed ourselves in this series in ways and to degrees that are previously unseen. So let's take a few minutes and revisit the journeys that we've taken and the teams that we've traveled alongside. Uh, Celeste, let's start with you. Now that it's over, how do you feel about your Heart Gold series? It was a rough series. Um, as we touched on, all of the trainer battles were pretty boring other than the bosses, everything else. But so it, I don't know. I had some interesting catches. Made a few mistakes. One of the mistakes actually helped me in terms of Mao and not leaving him to get slack off and bringing the PvP early and evolving him really helped me in PvP. But that mistake made him not so great later on. And then I can barely remember (laughs) anything since it was so long ago. I don't remember anything in my second playthrough because I was just wanting to get it done. I didn't put anything in that in a memory. It was, I'm getting to Lance, and I'm getting through Lance, or it's over. That was all I was thinking about. To be honest, most of the game wasn't bad. It Just getting through the series itself, the Elite Four just scared me the entire time. And I'm rambling because I don't know what to talk about here. It's been so long that even when I went back and took notes, I couldn't think of anything. Yeah, poor Celeste finished this series like three fucking months ago and has just been sitting there tapping her toe waiting for us assholes. Well, no, it's my fault. I died out the lance twice. And that was rough. Um, let's just go with playing this this game twice up to the Elite Four was hard. Let's just go with that. 
That's very fair. Uh, now, Celeste, out of all of the Pokemon partners that you had along the way, and again, you played through the first half of the game twice, so you had quite a few. Who do you think was the most important to the success that you were able to achieve? Who was your Series 6 MVP? Well, I, it, this is hard to grade, too, because I played through it twice, and the second time I didn't do any PvP. And I kind of had to weigh PvP more than anything else. I would say the surprise MVP was Feinrich because I wasn't expecting him to be that great because you don't have access to Toxic. But he caused some literal chaos in PvP. Umbreon's be Hayden. <laughs> yeah, that Umbreon was was kind of a pain in the butt to deal with. Um, who do you think was your surprise success? Who performed really well and, and you maybe weren't necessarily expecting them to? Um, That's a harder thought. Uh, there was a lot that came by. Um, I would have to say my uh, Crobat. I'd I know we've used Crobats as a success, but Velvetores was very, very useful throughout the series for me. I can't believe you didn't pick the Stantler. You used a fucking Stantler, Celeste. <laughs> I did. It was surprising, but I didn't use it in PvP. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I I'm weighing by PvP. Who disappointed you, Celeste? Who were you expecting to contribute that failed to live up to that expectation? My Magnazone, Salvatore. He crumpled like a wet noodle in the face of Lance. Not even taking one hit as a steel Pokemon. Fully evolved. It, it just sucked. And of the deaths on your team, which, again, you had more than your share, which one was the hardest? Like, which one was the, the hardest to deal with? My Ampharos that died to a crit from frickin' Claire. Killer Claire. She, she killed something in my second playthrough, too, to a crit as well. And I don't remember what it was, but... Ugh. I'm trying to remember what my Ampharos' name was, because I can't think of it at the moment. Apparently, it wasn't that important. All right. Well, as with previous series, I do also want us to give our thoughts on each other's teams as well. Uh, so let's start with you, Mess. Who do you think the MVP of Celeste's team was and, and why? Um, so it's been a while for me, too. Um, I think I think I have to give it to the, the mon that saved her run earlier in the series, which was Mao, right? The Slow King. His slow highness, uh, who lived against Chuck, the only sur survivor of Chuck's initial gym, <laughs> by the narrowest of margins. Like, without Mao, Celeste, I mean, this might have been a favor to Celeste, like, when you think about it. She wouldn't have had to, like, run through all the way to Lance a second time. She would have had to run back at the beginning to Lance once and then, then potentially out, but... Yeah, that, that Slowking was really scary in BVP too, because Slowking's got really good coverage and it's bulky. Like, it wasn't as threatening as it would have been with Slack Off or Nasty Plot. Like, later in the game, it evolved early to specifically for that, that Chuck fight. But if, if, if it hadn't been evolved, it wouldn't have survived. That's very fair. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Like, I, I know that there were a couple of standouts on your, your second chance run, Celeste, and I don't necessarily agree that, that PvP outweighs gameplay to such a degree that, that gameplay performance is, is trivial, but like, I just didn't really get to know any of those Pokemon, so it's difficult for me to say who was a terror, but I can say definitively that Mao absolutely was. Um, he was critical for you in multiple stages of gameplay, obviously most notably in that Chuck fight, but elsewhere as well. And 
he was difficult to prep for in PvP. The the breadth of coverage that that one mon gets, and the fact that we ran team builders, so we never really knew what TMs you had given him week to week, made him really really difficult to switch into. And you know, you only beat me once in PvP this entire series, and when you did, it was heavily on the back of Mao. Mm-hmm. So yeah, good 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 slow friend. He's chilly and needs some pants. all right well i'll go ahead and and go next and this is a really weird series to to recap for for me for all of us really just it was so long it was long to the point where you start to get a little disconnected from it like my team at the end was entirely different from the team that i brought against even the elite four and it's just it's really strange it's not like really any of the other series that we've done obviously I made some mistakes down the final stretch. I don't think, I think some of them are just mistakes in hindsight and made plenty of sense in the moment. A couple of them were genuine errors. Um, the big mistake for me was in playing too aggressively. I, I got spooked by losing the mid series finale PVP. And then I got spooked in a big way by the double dragons. But you know, when we look back at the actual numbers, what the numbers show is that in the back half of the season, I thoroughly dominated in PVP and mess thoroughly dominated in gameplay. And so I should have been, I should have been putting my eggs in the basket that I was good at. I should have been betting on myself in PVP. And instead I was betting against myself and trying to hedge those bets in gameplay. And clearly that wasn't the correct call, and I paid the price there. That said, I I can't help but be proud of this series. Despite the way it ended, I played really consistently well this whole series through. And I think that even in the end against Red, we fought a good fight. Like, we left it all on the table. There's no, you know, well, if I had just done this, like, I made the correct play at every stage of the game. We use a frankly brutal rule set in this series, and sometimes the price we pay for walking that Occam's razor's edge of danger is that the roll of the dice doesn't go in your favor and you're done. I'm really proud of the team that we built through this series. I am proud of the ass kickings that we dished out with them, and I'm ready to start again. Yeah, I mean, that's real good. Uh, we we all lost so, so many <laughs> Pokemon this series, it's, it's almost not even funny. Out of all those friends, Lost and Not, who was your your most valuable player? There was so much time throughout the series for different Pokemon to shine for different reasons, and you had a lot of different friends to love. So, who who's the one for you? I mean, there, there's a lot of possible answers there, right? Like, there were a number of different Pokemon that for a time in the series were the big threat, the spooky one, the carry, if you will, um, going all the way back to Charleston, the Jolteon. We had Maple, the Mamoswine, who was a monster and literally pulled us through Lance the first time, like, by the skin of her, her big mammoth teeth. There's a lot, but... I think that the one that gets the MVP for me was never really the carry, but was was always the glue of the team, was on the team from the moment he was caught until his unfortunate demise, and that was was Cosmo the Arcanine. Just having that big, fat fire type that can switch in on most things, that has like the utility of Intimidate, that has really good coverage, and can just can, can take hits. It was, it was so incredibly valuable all series long. And, you know, even, 
even when he went down against blue and that was just, you know, a hard, a hard fight in general, he got the damage off that we needed to, to pull out by the skin of our teeth. Again, there's, there's an argument for slick back. There's an argument for a lot of things, but I think for me, it goes to Cosmo. Yeah, that's totally valid. I mean, you had Cosmo really early in the game. Like you could get him very quickly and get a firestone very quickly. And that was incredibly intimidating, no pun intended, um, <laughs> to have to deal with on a regular fucking basis. Uh, there were many days where that dog was the bane of my existence, uh, and I did not like it very much. That said, who who surprised you? Like, who did you think that was going to be the garbage that was not the garbage? I was, it was Shelby. It was fucking Shelby. Uh, <laughs> I have become so accustomed to seeing that shiny sprite on the screen and just immediately hating my life. But, but Shelby was actually really, really solid. I, again, deceptively so in some ways. Like, I think that we saw kind of the true colors against red where suddenly that offense that seemed so overpowering wasn't all of a sudden. Um, but, in general, I did not expect to get the type of value uh, and strength out of Shelby that I did get. And I think that pretty hands down, Shelby is going down in history, at least to this point in the series, as significantly the best shiny I've ever had. I don't think that there's any disagreement on that particular point. <laughs> uh, who, was, who was the big disappointment? Who did you pick up with the intent to deliver who just wouldn't? So my heart wants to say cookie for failing me in the most critical of moments against, against red, like that golem. F fuck a geodude, man. Fuck a geodude. <laughs> <laughs> They're everywhere all the time. That being said, I don't know if cookie really applies because I didn't expect cookie to be good. I just hoped she would be good enough and she wasn't. And you know, I'm going to have to give it to Haster, my Omastar. Like, I thought that Haster was like some real hot tech when I picked it up. And then it was just very mediocre. And I was like, huh, I guess I should have like looked at the math and not just like what I was hoping for. Haster wasn't like the worst Pokemon, but I definitely could have gotten a lot more value out of that encounter without even trying. So that was kind of sad. Yeah, it, it's a bummer. And I'm sad that you did not use uh, Lord Helix, but you know, that's neither here nor there. Oh, God, we've had so many. Who was the hardest death, if you can remember all those who perished? <laughs> so there's a part of me that wants to say Jules, primarily because I would have lived and thus won if Jules had come with me to red. But a more fair part says, like, I can take my bitter, bitter medicine there because it was my fault. Like, I fucked up. The price that I paid is that Jules didn't come out of there. It happens. Beetleborg sucked. Like going, bringing my sweet baby Heracross, the only mom that was on the team as longer than Cosmo was, was, was Beetleborg the Heracross. And he was so good for so long. Again, another real contender for the MVP of my team. And then to just have him go down to that disrespect double team Mamoswine. It sucked. It sucked a lot. And honestly, the price rematch is one that I probably should have just looked at and went, nah. Nah, but I didn't. And the price we paid was Beetleborg. And once again, if we hadn't lost Beetleborg there, Beetleborg probably would have carried us through red. So, yeah, that one sucked. Yeah, and... Oh, man. <laughs> that fucking snow cloak. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's talk a little bit about 
who do who do I think your MVP was? Sweet, sweet lord. Uh for me it was your Honchcrow. Hands down. Like one of the things that was really defining about this series, both in my initial run in, my my second run through, is that I had an Alkazam in the back. And Alkazam in the back with choice specs is murder. Like it will revenge kill like anything, and nothing wants to switch into it if you try to escape. But Slickback was a 100% total counter to Alakazam and legitimately helped you a, a lot because I could never, I could never bring him on the team 100% because literally if, uh, if your Honchkrow was there, if Slickback was there, he was dead. Like he was dead. There was no good way around it. Even a focus blast had a very, it's not slim, but it was not uh, enough of a chance to to knock it down. Even with specs, even if it hits, like the priority that it gave, the immunity that it gave, like made it a nightmare to manage in PvP. Helped you get through a bunch of stuff in PvE when things were real, real shitty for you. Like that mon was was clutch. Uh, and and I I can't even overstate how much it was clutch uh, to watch that thing like come in and be like okay we can sucker punch our way to victory everything's gone real bad uh, but but slickback will carry the day and going yeah it's going to and it wasn't even super luck I'd actually have to agree with Mez on this I didn't face slipback in BVP but slickback carried in a lot of moments. And got you through a lot. I mean, that's fair. I just, I, again, my my concern was is that in picking Slickback, I was once again falling for that recency bias. And I had a lot of Mon that carried at different points in the series. But, you know. You did. You absolutely mm-hmm. did. But for me, like, that was one of the few Pokemon that you had that was 100% a, a hard counter to something that I had that would put huge dents on your squad week to week and it stopped me from doing so the entirety of of Kanto. <laughs> that's that's really really fair. All right, well, mess, that makes it your turn, buddy. Uh why don't you tell us a little bit about how you feel about your your series 6? Uh about my series as a whole, uh it was it was good. I was really weary by the end. I'm not I'm not even going to like try to pretend that I wasn't. I was real tired. We got out of Unova with me having wiped to the E4, and I still felt like good about that fight, like going down to, to N, even though I hate that guy. But there was definitely pressure to come into Heart Gold, Soul Silver, and perform. And for the most part, like I felt I did a good job. Like we hard moded just about everything, but I had a really hard time like performing in, in PvP. I just, like, I did okay, like, when the three of us were around, but when it was just me and you and I was all you had to prep for, like, putting dents in your squad was real difficult. Even on the weeks where I came close, they didn't feel close to me. Like, I had to, I had to pull hard to, to get even remotely close to picking up those PvP point victories. And when the tide started to turn on, like, team options, I went and almost died to blue, like and lost like my best, my best options. So like none of that felt really good going through wiping to Lance felt really shitty, 
but like we stuck with it and it's hard to come into what is essentially going to be four months of your life knowing that you are really far down in points and this is something I know you've been through and being like, oh God, we got to slog through this week to week and we got to do everything possible to bridge the gap and we got to, like the only real strategy is make your opponent do stupid shitty things with you. (laughs) Because you're not going to be picking up points in PvP. So the only thing you can do is play better in PvE and bait your opponent into doing the same thing and doing it worse. And I mean, at the end of the day, like, it paid off for me. But going through it felt daunting. Like, every week to play, like, really well, to lose less Pokemon, to, like, pick up those hard mode points, uh, differential, come into PvP and lose all the ground that we gained was demoralizing on a level that I can't even describe. And I mean, at the end, like, before you went to red and, and had a, had a bad time of it, like, it was all about holding my head high long enough to get to the fucking finish line and get out the door. Like my lowest point in the series was literally getting that shiny tangle on going, fuck guys, come on. <laughs> like it's been seven months. Can we please just stop with the fuck you mess? I can't like, I can't do this anymore. I got to go EV train this bitch and then take him to a blizzard party. But yeah, like all in all, I still think it was a good series. Having had some distance, like a couple weeks now, several weeks now away from the series, I feel better about it. And I think that would be the case regardless of what had happened at the end with Red. Just when I was in it, I was so tired. If you go back and you watch the Red fight getting through it, there's so much relief there. And a lot of that relief honestly wasn't, we won the day. It was, fuck, it's over. (laughs) So, uh, all in all, good series, really cool. We did, we did more than we've ever done, but it definitely took a toll on me personally. And it was a challenging, uh, series for other reasons, like personal reasons and things like that, that had nothing to do with BBR. But yeah, I, I'm glad that it's in the rear view, but I'm also glad that we did it. Heart Gold, Soul Silver, Sleep Lock win. Oh God, we could never like <laughs> sl- sleepwalking. These would be like you play till you die, <laughs> like physically in your chair. We would need like five thousand dollars a month Patreon for that kind of goal. There, there, <laughs> there's not enough coffee in the world to keep me awake that long. Uh, all right, mess. Well, well, once again, let's go through the same the same rigorous gauntlet of review. You had a lot of Pokemon over the course of uh, what amounts to one and a half series through these behemoth games. Uh, who do you think that your best team member was? Who was the MVP of your squad this series? It's Fats. Like hands down, it's Fats. Like there's a like you said, there's a there's a lot of. Uh, I think favoritism placed on the Mon we had at the end because, like, we spent a bunch of time with them fairly recently. But, like, let's look at it. Fats got caught in my Master Ball because he was going to kill the whole fucking party with Rollout. Not what I wanted to use my Master Ball on, but whatever. Fats was extremely durable. He pulled me through many hard mode gym battles with neutral damage, which was very needed. Could take hits was a, a rest a rest talk uh setup even though he couldn't use curse like that was more than enough to pull us through 
Like, I'm looking at you, Melodic, in our, like, 35-plus turn sleep talk battle. Or rest talk battle. It, it was... It, that was so bad. But he lived on blue with one hit point. One. To win the day and keep us in the series. Like, when we faced off against Red, he was fighting that Venusaur, which I had no other real good answers for. And I took a chance on hitting rest when I really needed to rest. And he woke up and he went back to sleep and rested up. Like, he came through for me at every opportunity. He never let me down. Like, once your fighting types were dead, granted, those that was very late in the series, he became a much more threatening Pokemon in PvP than he had been. I don't think there's anyone else I could give that accolade to. Well, that's certainly fair. I mean, there's a short list there, but I think that Fats is definitely at or near the top of it I, for, for all of us, I'm sure. Who do you think your surprise standout was? Who were you maybe not expecting to be nearly as good as they were? Friendly. The Dugong. One of the things that this series has a tendency to do, uh, not just this series, but Blasphemy Radio in general, is because it's competitive... I think that we have a tendency to view a lot of Pokemon through a lens of it's either garbage or it's great because we have to face off in PvP every week and Pokemon that are just average or, or subpar in some area or where there's just a better Pokemon that, or another Pokemon that does the same things as another one better, uh, gets, gets the good old gold star. I feel like Dugong falls pretty heavily in that category. Like, it's not an amazing Pokemon, but we needed it for something very specific, and we brought it, and it came through for us in a big way. And I continued to use Friendly throughout Johto, uh, Kanto, sorry, in various places, in gyms, and rematches, and he continued to perform uh, very, very well. And I could always count on him in a pinch to, to soak a hit and do some of that beautiful ice, ice damage, um, that is so very valuable. So I, I think it really goes, goes to friendly for me. Who was your biggest disappointment, Mess? Who were you expecting to be very good? Who wound up being very not? Uh, who did I think was the bads? I, I feel like I almost have to give it to Rio. <laughs> Like Rio was, <laughs> Rio was, was such, I, I don't want to shit on Rio too much. The disappointment comes in, in the fact that Rio failed at probably one of the most crucial key moments in the entire series. Like he was always playing above his weight class. He was always fighting above his weight class because he was a butterfree in the Kanto post game. But you know, that miss on, on Sleep Powder with such a low miss percentage sealed the fate of of so many, so many really good friends. And it makes me so sad. I still love Butterfree as a Pokemon. Butterfree has been great for us over the course of the series. And I, I'm not going to say that Rio didn't do some really important, amazing stuff for us. But if it comes down to a moment of supreme disappointment in a Pokemon, that was it. Yeah, that was that was really rough. Uh, I, I think that Sleep Powder has become quite literally the bane of your existence. Yeah, I mean, he had one job. <laughs> his only job is almost four and he didn't quite make it 
All right. Well, um, Mess, you just like the rest of us, you had a, a whole, whole lot of deaths this series. It went on entirely too long. Uh, which one stuck in your craw the most? Which one was the worst to deal with? The, this is going to sound really funny, but it was Duchess, my absol. <laughs> like, because I I went on a, what, hour and a half, two hour hunt for that absol, like on a multi-stream with you. And then I got him killed by a vile plume who punched him. If there is an embarrassing way to go, that is it. Honorable mention to the Magneton who died because you were sleepy. Oh my god, I was so shitty. <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, yeah, like this is fine. Oh yeah, you're steel now. You melt. Fuck. You were so angry that I was genuinely concerned that I was going to get a text message saying, I'm done with this fucking show. We're done here. I, they, I mean, legitimately, that was during a time where I had just wiped the lance and I'm trying to catch back up. I'm playing a ridiculous amount per day on my vacation. And I'm like, all right, good. We have an electric type. It's going to do the thing for us. We're going to have him for lance. And then immediately dies like 10 minutes after I get him evolved into a Magnezone. God, I was so shitty. <laughs> that was very bad. Um, all right, Celeste. Well, let's go ahead and, and weigh in with our opinions. Do you agree with Mess? Uh, who do you think his most valuable player was for this series? Honestly, for going for the first playthrough, I'd kind of weigh in on one. But throughout the entire thing, I have to agree with Mez on Fats picking up a lot of steam, especially when your fighting types died. Uh, Fats just became immeasurably valuable for PV and PVP for Mez. So I'm I'm going to be the voice of dissent here for a couple of reasons. Um, one, we only fought one showdown after my fighting types died, yep, and I still that won true. that showdown. You did. You you absolutely did. No one is disputing. I yeah. didn't win PVP a lot. No, no, no. And I'm not I'm not trying to shove it in your face. I'm just saying I don't know how impactful. I don't think Fats was really impactful for you in PVP in gameplay. Absolutely 100%. And in PvP, he was something that I definitely had to prepare for, but he was manageable. For that reason, I think your MVP on this series was 100% Robin the Shiny Gyarados, because Robin wasn't manageable at all. Particularly <laughs> once Robin became joined by McAllister the Dragonite, like I could handle one or the other. I had no answers for both and all you needed was literally one turn and my team was fucked. And that was the turning point for the series, frankly, because that's when I started doing the math that if you beat me every week in PvP and it looked like you were going to beat me every week in PvP, then I had to do everything hard if I wanted to stay ahead in points. Like, I wouldn't have died to red if I hadn't got spooked by Robin. So for all of those reasons, I think that the fish is, is your best boy. I mean, yeah, I can see that. I mean, Robin never actually did a whole lot, but one week in PVP and in PVE, largely it was outshined by, by Dragonite on the week that weeks that he was around and, like, just did not come through in areas that I needed him to, failing to KO after a couple dragon dances and stuff like that. That's the principal reason I didn't give it to Robin. But if it pushed you into to mania, then I I suppose that there, there's value there. <laughs> yeah, like, it was... 
It was bad. I, again, it could have just as easily gone to McAllister. You're right. They were very much a package deal. But from my perspective, the turning point in the series, like when you went from trailing heavily to to coming up, was when you caught that fish. The the fateful fish. Yeah. Yeah, I I stand by that. Like, don't get me wrong. Fats was very, very good. And I don't think you were wrong to give it to him. But I, I was never that blessed with Fats. Like, he was just he was just another thing to, to manage. Yeah, I suppose that's true. But I don't know. Like I said, I would not have gotten to the end of the game without him. Yeah, and that's very, very valid. All right, guys. Well, with this being our season finale, we did want to take a minute to check in with the community. Uh, this week, we did get an email from our good friend in the land down under, Aliara, updating us on the series result for his play-along group, the Three Dicketeers. Mess, buddy, would you read Aliara's email for us, please? Jesus, how long is this email? <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, you, all right, you sure. Read it yet. This is going to be a treat. <sighs> what have you done to me? Uh <laughs> Okay, uh, it says, good evening, Jodo, Richard Cummins here with some breaking news. The Nuzlocke trio, known as the Dicketeers, have battled it out atop Mount Silver, and Ali Dickslap Ara has emerged victorious as the Heart Gold Soul Silver champion. We will take you live to field reporter Ricky Hanglow with the latest scoop. Evening, Richard. I'm reporting live from the base of Mount Silver, where the Dicketeers have finally made it back, all three spinning their dicks like helicopters, and it's a truly beautiful <laughs> sight. I spoke with champion Aliara moments ago and he had this to say. Fuck mate, I could go for a uh I can't even fucking say that word. Uh Vegemite uh Sangha. Hooray. Uh it would also seem, Richard, that old school Bliss will be swinging his dick for a final time tonight after removing all of his clothes and hugging Patrick and Aliara for a whole five Mississippi. Bliss has taken a seat next to an original Dicketeer, Flamin' Air, who is still crying from his Unova slaughter. It is unclear who will be replacing Bliss for Unova 2.0 Electric Boogaloo, but the rumor mill here is Carbon Tim, Carbo Tim, a brother of Patrick, will take the mantle of third Dicketeer. I'm Ricky. Wait. Wait a minute, Richard. Something is happening here. It seems Aliara and Pat are spitting their dicks at something in the distance. Could this be the third Dicketeer? What do you see, Ricky? Oh my, oh my, a figure naked and slipping. Wait, there's three of them. Dick's free in the air. It's Carbon Tim, but he's joined by two others, Platinum Riley and Manic Pixie Fat Guy. And they're, they too are naked with Dick spinning, the three of them skipping with linked arms. They've approached Aliara and Patrick now, all five of them holding hands and spinning their dicks. I have to tell you, Richard, I was there when we pulled down the Berlin Wall, but this is the most beautiful sight I've seen in my 43 years as a reporter. Fly, you magnificent bastards. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. It seems there will be five Dicketeers for the next series of Nuzlocke. As always, I'm Richard Cummins. Fuck you, Jodo. <laughs> Thank you. What the fuck? <laughs> Thank you very much, Mess. I'm sorry to do it to you, but only a little bit. And thank you very much, Aliara. Congratulations on another punishing victory where you made your friends very, very sad. I'm not honestly sure how our rule set is going to work for you guys with five competitors in your group this season, but I'm sure you'll keep us appraised and we're excited to find out. Yeah, five, five, five would kill Jolly in the editing room. Five would be just way too much PvP. 
All right. Well, we also recently received an extremely kind review on iTunes that we'd like to share with you guys uh, from iTunes user Bree Hutch 2021. Uh, Celeste, would you read Bree Hutch's review for us, please? Sure. They say this podcast ruins other podcasts for me because I am so used to how professional sounding and well-structured this show is compared to many other podcasts that seem to flail in a disorganized heap. The hosts all know what they're doing and keep the conversation flowing with fun tangents but never let themselves get off too far off course, and the pacing is wonderful. Major credit to Jelly by Nature for steering the ship and doing such hard work to provide the best content for Pokemon fans. It's always such a thrill to hear exhilarating highs and lows of their weekly gameplay, reveling in their victories and anguishing when one of your favorite Pokemon is laid to rest. I still miss you, Mac, tonight. I haven't fully invested in the secondary focus of the show, BBR Adventures, yet, but from what I've listened to so far, it seems like a nice compliment to the main show. If I had one complaint, I do wish they'd clarify which what their nickname Pokemon are more frequently. In fast-paced PvP battles, it's easy to lose track of what nickname belongs to what Pokemon, so I've sometimes found myself a bit lost as to what Pokemon was present. This doesn't detract from the show in any major way, though. I'll end my review by pledging in my support for Team Rohane. Long may he reign. No, they're, <laughs> they're, gonna, they're in for a disappointment. Well, I mean, they know who Mactonite is, so... You know, that's, uh, that's fair. <laughs> thank you very much for your kind words, Bree Hutch. We really, really appreciate them. And thank you for your like really valid criticism. Like we, we tried to make a point of like using like both nickname and Pokemon name, but we'll, we'll kind of like focus up on that. Um, we really appreciate all of your reviews, guys. We appreciate the kind words and we appreciate the constructive criticism. And as a very special thank you to those of you who have taken the time to rate and review the show, we're going to do something kind of special. I am proud to announce a giveaway in celebration of the upcoming release of Pokemon Sword and Shield. Blastburn Radio is currently at 34 unique ratings and 19 unique reviews on North American iTunes. When the show hits at least 50 unique ratings and 30 unique reviews, we'll be giving away one copy of Pokemon Sword or of Pokemon Shield of the winner's choice to one of those who has left their review on iTunes for the show. Uh, now, a couple of notes. We don't know who everyone is from their iTunes username. So to qualify, please take a screenshot of your review and send it to us by email to blastburnradio at gmail.com along with your preferred contact method. Uh, also worth noting that this contest is hinged on the North American iTunes review section, mostly because that's what we look at. Uh, but even if you are not a North American resident, you are still eligible for entry. Just be sure to screenshot your review in your iTunes store and send that over to us. Um, we really, really appreciate you guys. We know it's not super convenient to log on to iTunes to review the show if you're not an Apple user. Uh, but hopefully this makes it worth your while to do so. And we really want to give back to you guys as a thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And if just remember, if you've already left a review go ahead and screenshot that and send it in to us. You don't have to be leaving a new review to be eligible. All right, guys. Well, that is that is it for Series 7. Uh, Heart, Gold, Soul, Silver are officially in the rear view. Uh, and of course, we want to let you guys know what you can expect from us. Now, next week is normally a BBR Adventures release week, but we'll actually be taking a, a short one-cycle break from that series. Apologies in advance. I know that that's frustrating. But that said, we've been getting a ton of questions about the BBR rule set lately from folks who have picked up the show pretty recently. And it's become apparent that expecting someone to listen to two years of back archives to see the rule set kind of evolve over time is not super realistic for somebody who wants to be up to current right now. Uh, 
so we're going to be releasing a rules refresher covering our base rule set from the top down. And that'll come next week. We'll be back with the main show on October 13th, and we'll be bringing you the first episode of Season 7 of Blastburn Radio, our introduction to Pokemon Black and White 2 Unova. We are coming home. Uh, and of course, that episode, as always, will have our feelings about these games coming in, our special rules for this particular series, and of course, our drafts for our versions and starters. So get excited for that. I'll be streaming that night too. So like, I'll probably be going live before you have this episode. So if you don't want to be spoiled on anything for the episode, don't come hang out with me. Not that I don't <laughs> want to see you, but. No, yeah. he, do- he doesn't want to see you. Don't let him lie to you. Uh, <laughs> now, again, it is uh, break week still, uh, break weeks, break month, I suppose, more accurately. Uh, so our hosts may or may not stream at their usual times and channels. Uh, so be sure to keep an eye on Discord or social media for updates on when we're going live. Be sure to subscribe at twitch.tv slash jollybynature, twitch.tv slash Lost, and twitch.tv slash engine so you get those push notifications. Uh, now, we- remember, we do want your emails, guys. Whether you're playing along with us at home, uh, doing your own super dope challenge run that you want to talk about, uh, whether you want to give us your thoughts and feelings on the show and what we're up to, or send us proof of that review so you're entered in our giveaway drawing, uh, please send those emails to blastburnradio at gmail.com or get at the show on social media. As always, you can follow me personally at BBRJolly on Twitter. And that's Lust Lost. And I'm at Messer Engine. And as always, don't forget to check out Mythic Portal Games. If you do any sort of role-playing in an online space, uh, Mythic Portal has great art assets, map packs, tokens, and uh, now sound assets and music to really help uh, your campaign kick it up a notch. Um, you can find them on the role place of uh, Astral VTT, of uh, Roll20, and wherever fine roles are played around the web. Uh, I do want to thank everyone for joining us today. I want to give a very special thank you as always to my co-host messer engine and celeste for blastburn radio i am jolly by nature thank you for listening and we will see you next time see you next time folks see you next time <laughs>